What? The mic's hot. The mic's hot. <coughs> All right, we're going to go ahead and get started tonight. We are in <clears throat> Proverbs. We're talking about Proverbs to live by tonight. But before we get started, I'm just trying to get any prayer requests that we might not have in front of us right now or anything new that we need to be praying for. Go ahead. Our grandson Aiden, he uh, Aiden? Aiden, A-Y-D-E-N, or Aiden Marine, he did a wise teenage thing. Oh, yes. did on his motorcycle and busted both wrists. Wow. He was doing wheelies and, you know. Yeah, tried to catch himself and didn't catch himself. Okay. He's in cast. So both wrists are broke? Yeah. Wow, that's a hard fall. Okay. Well, if you're going to ride motorcycles, motorcycles and skateboards, they say. <clears throat> yeah. I won't, well, never mind. We'll get off the motorcycles. Motorcycles aren't my favorite. Anybody else? No? Yeah, I got Bill on here. So I actually just called Betty to follow up with that, with his prostate surgery. And so she wants us praying for, he's still bleeding, and we need the bleeding to stop. So part of it, I think, is just from talking to them is he's been a little too active since the surgery. And so he's promised he's going to stay in the recliner the rest of the day. But she's saying if the bleeding doesn't stop, they're going to have to go back to the hospital again tomorrow. And, uh, and Brenda Scott's in the ER. Is anybody got any follow-up on that? Did she come home? She's in the hospital in Orlando. Do you know which one? I, I think the one on Rollins, but I'm not positive of that. Okay. Anybody else? Of course, we're going to be praying for Leah, Mitzi, Amy. I also have a follow-up with Larry Morris that was given to me by Paul. It says he has been diagnosed with early-stage con congestive heart failure. Um, but he is on new meds, and they're helping with his breathing. So, anybody else? Anything else? All right, let's go ahead and pray then. Father God, we come before you, Lord. We're grateful for this time where we can be together and just study and think of these proverbs and these wise sayings that still ring true to this day, things that we can live by that have real um, tangible application. Father, um, I pray that as we study tonight that we share our life experiences, that we share um, the things that you bring to our minds um, to help sharpen one another, to help um, think critically about the things that are said in your word, Father, and do our best, um, our due diligence to, to apply those things to our lives. 
Father, tonight we want to bring a few names before you. The first one we want to pray for is Bill. Um, he just had prostate surgery, and we just need the bleeding to stop um, and the healing to begin. Uh, this, we're grateful that everything went well, um, that he's already home, um, that there wasn't any real complications, but Father, we're just asking that the bleeding stop um, for him. We also want to pray for Brenda Scott. We know she went to the ER last night and she's been moved to Orlando. Father, um, she's been in a tough spot in her, with her health for a long time. Father, we're just asking for healing and that she can come back to us as well. We haven't got to see her in a few weeks. She hasn't even been healthy enough to come. Father, we're just asking for healing and restoration so we can see her again. Father, we also want to continue to pray for Mitzi and her battle with cancer. Lord, we know you're in control and you can do all things. And we're just praying for healing on behalf of her and a life that's cancer-free as she's been through this process more times than really anybody should ever have to, Father. And our heart really goes out to her. Father, help us to think of ways and help us to, um, to see the ways that we can help her and her family um, through this time. Father, we also want to continue to pray for Leah um, and her healing. It's such a joy for me personally to see her on Sundays here and to see the connection that she's having with your word and, and the messages that are um, being preached. And, and Father, I just, um, God, I can't praise you enough for what I saw you do. Father, and I selfishly say, I, I would love to see you do it for all that are on our prayer list. So Father, if it's your will, just continue to heal Leah back to a life that's better than what she had before. Um, her heart attacks and just all the health issues she's had for her whole life as well. Father, I also want to continue to pray for my wife, Amy. Um, we got a lot of good results at Mayo, and we are very excited about, um, very hopeful as well about just the situation of Mayo, the organization, the, the doctor and her attentiveness um, and her aggressiveness to really figure out what's going on. Lord, I just feel like we're really close to figuring that out, and we're grateful that at least up to this point, it seems like it's more of a reaction from the heart versus an actual heart issue. God, I, I praise you for that as well. Father, we also want to pray for Aiden Moreno. Father, two broke wrists is not only painful, but it's frustrating. It's difficult. It's agitating. There's so much you can't do without your wrist. It's one of those parts of the body that once you hurt it, you, then you realize how much you use it. Um, so just be with him in his recovery and help his family to surround him and give him comfort through the process. Father, we are also wanting to pray for Larry Morris as he's been diagnosed with congestive heart failure. Father, we know you can heal him. If that is your will, we pray for that. Father, again, I, I will say that he was such an encouragement to me personally as a, as a young man. The way he led singing, the way he led with joy. Um, Father, and his willingness to accept so many different people 
um, was something that I definitely learned from him. So I just pray blessings upon him and his family as they go through this process as well. God, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you that you love us so much that you call us your children. We thank you that not only you call us your children, but you sent your only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for all of us, to give us that hope of eternal life. We pray that we live a life worthy to the calling. We pray that you help us live that life as well. Guide us on the path. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So if you remember, we were in Proverbs, and we started with the idea of wealth, diligence, and generosity, and we got through wealth. Um, and that really was because of a lot of good discussion about wealth. And, and as we know, there's a lot of good to do with wealth, and there's a lot of evil that can creep in with wealth, and that's a lot of what we um, spent time talking about last week. Um, I want to read these scriptures again just to kind of reframe our mind, because I think they fall right in line with the next um, set of scriptures as well. So I'm going to read them real quick and then we'll go to the next part. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Proverbs 10.2, treasure gained by wickedness do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. Proverbs 11.28, whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish with a green leaf. Proverbs 13, 11, wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Proverbs 15, whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household, but he who hates bribes will live. Proverbs 19, 4, wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friends. Watch out for those fair weather friends. Proverbs 20, 17, bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man. It goes in sweet, but afterward his mouth will be full of gravel. Not a very good, um, if your food tastes like gravel, it's, you're probably at the wrong house or wrong restaurant. Um, Proverbs 21, 6, the getting of treasure by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. We're not looking for treasures through falsities and lies. Um, Proverbs 28, 19, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. A faithful man will abound with blessing, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. To show partiality is not good, but for a piece of bread, a man will do wrong. And then my favorite verse, a stingy man hastens after wealth and does not know that poverty will come upon him. All right. So, not a stingy man. <clears throat> diligence. Diligence. When you hear the word diligence, what do you think of? I got a few um, Proverbs. I think these are more, um, most of them you'll have already heard of before. Um, but I think they're very wise sayings as well. Things you can live your life by. The early bird gets the worm. The early bird gets the worm. Sometimes it's good to be first. Um, give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. But teach a man a fish, you feed him for life. I think that maybe some of you might think, why? That's not really diligence. But if you think about it, one day's worth of work, you can feed a man for a day. Teach him a skill. Takes more time, doesn't it? 
It takes more time to teach somebody to fish. I can, I can tell you, I've taught a lot of people to fish. Some pick it up very quickly. Some do not. And when you um, are teaching someone to fish, it can be very frustrating when you're getting big giant runs of giant fish and they're being missed over and over and over again. But that's, that's not that important to me. I'm just saying that there's more diligence required in feeding somebody for a day and teaching them how to feed themselves. And there's a bigger reward for that person. Whatever we hope to do with ease must first be done with diligence. That's something that coaches used to say to me all the time. Maybe not that exact way, but pretty much that exact way. So what do you think about when you think about diligence before we get into these scriptures? What, what does that word mean to you? Not, not exactly definition, but what does it mean to your life? Why has it been important to you in your life? Why has it been important to you in your life? Go ahead, Chuck. It makes it where the work that you do isn't sloppy. True. It's, it's neat. It's, it's done well, as opposed to just get it done so you can go on to something else. Yeah. Yeah. He says that it makes it to where your work is neat and not sloppy. And when you're done, you're done and you can move on to something else without having to return to it. That's pretty much what he said. Did you hear that? Okay, I'll just make sure. He was being diligent. Okay, here we go. First verse. Yeah, I, um, I'll tell you one of the most frustrating things for me in just from what you said, Chuck, when we moved into our new home, you know, you get a new home, you want things to be right. And um, unfortunately, the time that we bought and that was being built and everything else, people were not working and people were being filled with new jobs and doing things for the first time and yada, yada, yada. And so needless to say, we got into our house and, um, well, there was grout stains everywhere on the tile, everywhere. Like big, huge stains where they just didn't clean the grout. Now, I don't know about you, but that bothered me. My family does flooring. That bothered me. And the reality was that whatever happened at the time, they didn't do their diligence to get the floor clean. So guess what? They had to come back. And when they came back, it was a lot harder than taking a sponge and wiping until it's gone. It reminds me of my children. And every time I go to do my dishes, I'm sure some of you can relate to where they didn't rinse off the dish. If they had just rinsed the dish off, the ketchup would not have um, hardened and been something I have to scrub off. Or even better than that, they take the cereal and they dump the whole thing of cereal in the sink. And then later the, the, the next day, I come to clean up everything in the sink and I've got a beautiful mess that I get to put my hands into. When it was as simple as rinsing it and turning on the trash, you know, the, the whatever I'm trying to think of, garbage disposal, thank you. It just drives you crazy. And all it takes is a little bit of 
Diligence. That's all it takes. So to me, I was thinking a lot about the idea of it's easy to be diligent at first. It's hard to be diligent at the end. And I don't know if you've ever done a big project where you have to start from the ground up, but as you start the project, you have a lot of um, exuberance. You're excited about the project. You're excited to get things going. As the project weighs on, you get excited to finish. And you can hurry through the process and therefore leave yourself with a result you're not happy with. Focus, that's right. Go ahead, Susan. Yeah. Man, you know, somebody just said something recently about the uh, AC making it hard to hear. I'm going to have to second that. I'm having a little bit. Y'all got to speak up a little bit for me because I'm, when that AC is kicking, I can't hear y'all very well. It feels great, though, for the record. I mean, I'm not complaining. I'm just saying. Go ahead, Bertha. Um, I don't have it on here now. I mean, I know it means consistency. It means fervor. Yeah, dogged would be another good synonym word. Cons like, con like refusing to give up. Refusing to be done until the job is actually done. Persistent. I was thinking faithful. Faith faithful would be a good way to apply diligence. What were you going to say, William? Determined. Determined. That's another good word for it. Yeah, I think it's, it's, um, I think it's an important thing, and I think it's honestly a lost start. Go ahead, Mike. The Webster. Go, yeah, whatever. Believe it or not. Dictionary is dictionary. Steady. So they start changing all the words, but anyway. Steady, earnest, and energetic effort, devoted and painstaking work, an application to accomplish an undertaking. Yeah, so I like earnest. I like painstaking. The word that was coming to my head was tedious. It's usually the tedious things that we need to be diligent on that we don't want to be diligent on. Paul? James 1 says, be a doer, not just a hearer. Say that again louder for me. Be a doer, yes. not just a hearer. Yes, that's right. You gotta be diligent, Carl. I'm not a historian, but I think the word rich here in the history of the church just means being able to pay your bills, feed your kids, have a little fun, and maybe save a little bit. But I, I think that's the definition of rich. I talked about that last week, too. Yeah. Yeah, so if we only equate wealth to money, then we're missing the concept of Scripture, for sure, when it comes to wealth. Money is, is a piece of wealth, but it's probably one of the smaller pieces of wealth. Um, according to scripture or in the context of scripture. All right, let's read this first verse and we'll get into this idea of diligence. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in the harvest is a son who brings shame. Any farmers? Any farmers want to explain the scripture to me? Go ahead, Sue. There's only one time that you can pick those green beans and 
pick those tomatoes and can them this is when they're ready to pick. And if you leave them on the vine, they're just going to wither up and die, and they'll be no good. Yeah, no good. yeah so <coughs> the crop does not just keep growing as long as you refuse to go and pick it. Yeah, there's a time where it has to be done, or you miss the window of opportunity, and you've wasted your efforts beforehand. Yeah. Go ahead, Doug. There's a story that I think it was. I think the story goes that IBM was looking for an operating system for their new home computer. They called a guy. He was a big surfer. He says, "Surf's up. I can't make it." So they called Bill Gates, and Bill Gates made a gazillion dollars because he was diligent enough to show up on a day that the surf's up. The other guy still made billions of dollars on CPM, but you know, Gates made the big money by gathering when it was time. Interesting. So it's a business story, but similar. It must be from California. That's the only people I know that are willing to miss a huge transaction potential for surf. Well, I do know a few in Florida too, but it's, it's a big deal over there. It's a big deal. Well, I'm not saying it's not. I know Kelly Slater, I got it, I got you. Go ahead, Chuck. Well, you, know, you were you're talking about uh, farmers, and the whole reason why our school system was set up to have the summer off is so many hands would be used to harvest the crops when they were ready in the summer. Yeah. The kids, everybody was involved in harvesting the crop to get it in before it rots. Yeah. The poverty there, the slack hand makes poverty, but the and the diligent makes rich. Who wants to be around somebody who's a, basically doesn't want to do any work, looks for every way to get out of the work? Nobody wants to be around a person like that. Yeah. Because they're just, whatever, wherever they are, say, well, I'll help. And they come out and all they do is they eat your food, you know, and they make a mess of whatever they're working on. Man, you're bringing some stuff to life for me that I can't talk about, but I totally understand what you're saying. Yeah. They really, a slack hand, when you're on a job site, a slack hand is a waste of money. And before long, won't have a job at all, which will lead you to poverty. Um, yeah, simple rules. You know, I was thinking just about um, when I was, the time I spent in West Virginia, and we always did hay at a certain time, and the whole church would come and help. It was an elder and his wife they did all the hay for everybody's animals in the church. And so everybody came and helped, and because of that, everybody had hay. But if you didn't come and help, you could get the hay, but you had to pay for it. You know, um, It was just simple as that. Now, they took the lion's share because it was their hay, and they had the most animals to feed. So everybody was really working for them, but everybody got a reward for it as well. Yeah, and I also was thinking about the sleeping in the harvest. Sleeping in the harvest. I don't want us to be asleep in the harvest, but we'll come back to that. Bertha? That uh, the laborers, the harvest is plenty, the laborers are few. Yeah. Yeah. It is. If we have a church that's diligent about the harvest, then we will reap it. And this is what I keep saying about if we just take God at his word and we take that application and we apply it and we become diligent ourselves about the harvest, then we will reap it. We don't want to be asleep when there's a harvest. Just like Sue was saying there, 
You might, you might only get one opportunity with somebody. And I'm just going to be, I'm speak from the heart for a second. But you might only get one opportunity with somebody. Do you want to be the person that was too busy on that day and missed the opportunity for that person's salvation? Or are you going to be diligent about it? And I'm going to tell you that I've had many times in my life, in my ministry, where that time didn't come at the most convenient time. You know, we um, had a SunQuest Zoom meeting um, just um, Tuesday. And one of the guys couldn't be there. Nobody knew why. Nobody knew why he couldn't be there. He never misses a meeting. Everybody's wondering, what is going on? He's in Texas, so he zooms in. You know, never misses a meeting. Well, turns out he sends us a message after the meeting's over. Hey, guys, sorry I couldn't be at the meeting. I was having a Bible study that went over. And oh, by the way, I baptized that person at the end of the Bible study. That's why I never got to the meeting. You see, he could have made or he had he had a reason to be somewhere somewhere else. He actually had a responsibility to be somewhere else. But who at that meeting is going to be mad at him for baptizing somebody? Don't miss those opportunities. You know, I don't I'll, I'll, I'll give you another real quick example. I had, I had a friend growing up in the youth group who was just a couple of years younger than me at Rockledge Church of Christ. And when he was young, his his, he wanted to get baptized, so his, his dad didn't go to church, his mom did, all right? So his mom studied with him and decided he was ready to be baptized. And then when she took it to the church, the preacher said, you're, not, you're too young, you're not ready. And you know, he was 26 before he got baptized. And it was a fight to get him back to that place. Because when he felt at least like he was ready to do it, somebody told him he wasn't ready. Now, personally, I'm going to be honest, that affects the way I even approach this question with the youth at our church. Because I really don't think it's my place to even judge that. Let alone if I have a parent who came to me and said, my child's ready to be baptized. I'm going to look her in the eye and say, nah, he's not ready. Coming from my own place. I know we're getting a little off topic, but just hear me out for a second. Coming from my own place, I was 12 years old when I got baptized. And I know in my heart of hearts, I got baptized because I got tired of the communion passing me by. I got tired of watching everybody eat the bread and everybody drink the cup and not me, not me, not me. Why not me? And I know in my heart of hearts that the reason why I did it was because I, I wanted to take communion. I was tired of feeling left out. I didn't do it to die to my sin. I didn't do it to, to partake in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I did not do it to make changes in my life starting that day to closer follow God. I did it because I felt like it was the way I got into the church, if you will. I, I was a full member then, and I missed that personal connection. So I did it again when I was 16 years old on my own free will. And we can sit here and judge which one, which one really mattered, which one mattered. Does it matter? I'll tell you right now, I think the one at 16 is the one that mattered for me. It's where actual change happened in my life. And I knew what I was doing when I did it. But I can only imagine if when I was 12, my dad looked me in the eyes or, or, or better yet, me and my dad studied at the kitchen table like we did. And then I went back into the church and the preacher said, Matt, you're a little immature. I'm not ready for that to happen in my church. So be diligent in those opportunities. I know we just went a little out there, but be diligent in those opportunities. The harvest doesn't just come every single day for every single person. And sometimes 
when that person's in need and we rally around them at the right time, we'll get a result that if we are not diligent, we won't. We won't. The moment will pass you by. I think that was from my best friend's wedding. But anyway, um, anybody else want to say anything about that before we move on to the next scripture? Anybody know that reference I just made? Nobody? Yeah. Well, it's where, never mind. I won't go into it. But let's just say she had an opportunity to say something. She didn't say it. The opportunity never came back. Never came back. All right, Proverbs 12, starting in verse 11. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Whoever is wicked covets the spoil of evildoers, but the root of the righteous bears fruit. I got a question. Do you believe that? I mean, we live in an upside down world. It seems like if you actually like reverse that, it would almost make more sense at times, wouldn't it? Saying like a lot of times it seems like the people who are doing wrong and leading people the wrong way are the people who are becoming wealthy, having plenty. What's a worthless pursuit? That would be a pretty worthless pursuit. What is it really even going to do? In the process, you're going to make your look, yourself look bad to the people who support that person anyway. What's it really going to do? What else is a worthless pursuit? Trying to pay your rent off lotto tickets. <laughs> <laughs> that is probably the definition of a worthless pursuit. That was... I'm in line behind people at the gas station all the time that's trying to do that exact thing, I think. It only seems to be that way when I'm in a hurry, too. That's when they're always there. Go ahead, Carl. I don't know if this counts as that, but I remember when I was younger, I told my grandfather I wanted to be a, a band teacher. And he was like, man, nah, that's, not, that's not good for you, you know. But to him, not, there's nothing wrong with band teacher. I, I kind of wish I would have done that. But to him, that didn't make enough money. He's like, you need to do something different, you know. So is, that, is that considered in the scripture? So I think maybe your dad thought that was a worthless pursuit. but Yeah, it's not. And I think a worthless pursuit is something that when you're done with it, it really didn't lead you to anything. And I think that's, I mean, you could easily probably ascribe every sin to a worthless pursuit. You chase it thinking it's something you want. When you arrive at the destination, it leaves you just as empty as you were before. To uh, store you your goods so that you can uh, retire. Okay. And then that is a worthless pursuit because? Because you don't have control over your soul. You didn't prepare for it. Oh, you're using scripture right now. I see how you're tricking me. All right. Yeah, I think, I think focusing too much on wealth in general is a worthless pursuit, and I think that's what you're trying to say, right? Okay, Chuck? Salvation by what you do. Oh, you want to go there. 
It's true, though. We're not, we don't, we're not following God because we're trying to earn heaven. Heaven's a gift. But there's a lot of people in the church that are trying to earn it. And that can get us to a very dangerous judgmental place if we're being honest. Anybody else? The root of righteousness bears fruit. I want to go to that from a spiritual concept, not a physical concept. I don't know about you, but when you read, originally read it, just like the um, first verse here, you're thinking physical, at least to me. I, I want to go to it from a, a, a spiritual concept. How does righteousness bear fruit? How does your good behavior and your righteousness, righteousness is godliness, how does your good behavior, your righteousness, your discipline, your diligence, how does it bear fruit? Have you ever had it bear fruit in your life? What you're doing and implement or whatever, they follow after you. What you've done, they realize that they can do it. Yeah. I didn't understand what you said before you said started this. You said something. It wasn't on this. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Uh, did I say, I was only saying that a lot of times we look at these from a physical concept, but I want to look at it from a spiritual concept. Yeah, there's a lot of people in church trying to earn their way to heaven, yeah. Um, balls and strikes. Balls and strikes. Am I, getting, am I getting more right than wrong? Am I going to church three times a week? Am I, and you can add to that whatever you want, it's earning it. It's, what I'm saying is, it, it's not about what we do, it's about the motive that we do it from. If we're doing it to try to earn something, you're... You, you're, you're trying to get an impossible task. It's a worthless pursuit. You can't earn it. None of us can ever be good enough to, to earn heaven or else Jesus would have never died. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't have discipline. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't have obedience. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't have righteousness in our life. But some people are trying to, they think there's a way to earn it. I think many people, like what you're talking about, mm -hmm. do not realize what they're doing. Oh, I would say a lot of people in that situation don't realize what they're doing 100%. Yeah, I agree with you. I was in that situation myself as a young man. Maybe it's probably to say that it's trying to obligate God to give you salvation. Oh. Yeah, I would say that could be a way too. I, I don't feel like... Mm. True. Yeah. It was transactional. Yeah, yeah, transactional. That's probably a good word for. I can buy into that one a little bit better. Um, it's obligations hard for me when it just comes to God. I don't, reverence has always been an issue, not an issue for me. Reverence of God is not an issue for me. So obligations a tough word for me. I don't think I ever bought into that. But I definitely felt like I had to have enough ducks in a row. Okay. Um, and that created a lot of questions. Anyway, I don't know if I answered your question or not. How did Cain try to obligate God? Huh? How did Cain try to obligate God? He, he gave his, what he offered, 
He said, well, I'm going to offer this, and you're obliged to bless me. He tried to obligate God with what he gave. And that's why God was displeased with it. It's because he approached God and said, you've blessed me so much, I just want to give this to you because I love you. That was Abel. But Cain said, I'm going to give this to you because I understand you'll give me blessings because I give you this. It was transactional in his mind. Well, I think, and again, that kind of goes back to what Robert was saying um, last week where he was talking about people trying to figure out what's the least I can do. What's the least I can do? People who are trying to earn it, that's a mindset they have. What's the least I can do to, get, to be saved? What's the least I can do? Instead of asking God, what do you want me to do? What is your way for me? How do you want me to live? So I think that what you were saying before, though, Bertha, with the um, righteousness bearing fruit and people being able to see it, I think one of the closest ways we can see that is with our kids with our kids, with our own family, with those who live closest to us. You know your kids pick up on your good habits and your bad habits. And sometimes you don't even realize you have bad habits till you see your kids do them. Anybody with me on that? Oh, I can tell you, I didn't realize um, I talked as much when I drove until my kids started doing it too. And then I was like, oh, this has to stop. This has to stop, especially living in Titusville where somebody's always going 30 under and somebody else is trying to pass you even when they're not allowed to. This has to stop. Um, yeah, so bearing fruit, but I can also see the way my kids are picking up already their relationship with God in a very powerful way because that righteousness does bear fruit too, even though I'm far from righteous most of the time. Go ahead, Doug. This is my own story, but um, Camille's dad, I only met him a couple times before he passed away, right? watching the fruit that he bore, watching his wife, his kids, his grandkids, and that's how I know him, is through the fruit that he bore. Yeah, yeah. Paul. In uh, Philippians 3, Paul talked about righteousness based on being able to check all the boxes. Yeah. I was this, I was that, I was this, I did that. And then at the end he says, no, it's not about that, it's about my faith in Christ. His righteousness. That's right. Nothing I've did. Right. Right. And that, again, Bertha, I think where you're hung up maybe is nobody's saying that that's an excuse to live however you want. What we're saying is there's a motivation, there's a different motivation when you're doing out of love, right? Out of reverence, out of obedience, out of true obedience. It's, diff it's no different than your child who does what you're telling them to do because they know there's a punishment if they don't do it versus when they do it because they love you, they respect you, and they want to fulfill what you've asked them to do. There's a huge difference. You know what I'm talking about. When I tell Nathan, hey, Nathan, it's time to uh, make your lunch tonight for, you know, after dinner. He's ready for bed. They're playing video games, vegging out. They don't want to do another thing. Sometimes it comes out of love. And it's like, sure, Dad, I will do that. No problem. And it's like, ah. Oh. This house should be every night. And then sometimes it's like, oh man, really? I got to do that right now. I mean, I guess I will. And it usually follows with, get up there and do that before you get something. And then he runs as fast as he does what he does out of his heart, out of the goodness of his heart. But there's two different motivations there. I think that's kind of what we're talking about. 
And I will tell you this too, in my opinion, when it's coming from a place of love, when you're following God from a place of love, from real reverence, that's going to bear a lot more fruit than when, try, when you're just trying to check a box to get yourself into heaven. When you're falling at the feet of the cross in full surrender, your ministry is going to be a lot more impactful than if you're doing just what you can or what you think you need to do to check off the box so you yourself can get to heaven. It takes on a whole new attitude. It takes on a whole new mindset. But yet again, we're talking about diligence. You're right. And I will admit myself that when I'm preaching, there's still a lot that comes to my mind that I learned as a child in Sunday school. There's no doubt about that. Um, and I would love to see more of our youth come into Sunday school, that's for sure. Um, yeah. Anybody else? Proverbs 13, the soul of a sluggard craves and gets nothing. While the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. That's pretty obvious. I know another um, saying where that starts with wish in one hand. Have you ever heard that one? I don't know if I want to finish it. Am I going to get judged if I finish it? Wish, well, I'm going to say it the nicest way I can think of it. We're just going to say, wish in one hand, fill up your other hand with a bunch of trash. Grab a bunch of trash, see which one fills up first. <clears throat> That's the gist. Um, the point is, it's kind of like having one in the hand versus two in the bush, kind of. What? What did you say? Yeah, one in the hand is better than two in the bush. Anyway, um, yeah. If you're not trying, you shouldn't expect much. If you're not trying, you shouldn't expect much. And then, again, I hope you guys are seeing all the spiritual concepts to this as well. It's not just, life is certainly, we're not here at church, so I can figure out how to make you um, wealthier with money, um, richer from that aspect. We're trying to get rich spiritually. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to be wealthy from a spiritual perspective. So, if you don't do much in your relationship with God if you're not trying to grow. What, what are you expecting? But if you're diligent, I bet you just in a short amount of time your life will have dramatically changed. I bet it will. But if you keep expecting God to step in and do something, it's time to start reading that Old Testament and watching Israel do the exact same thing and fall into pieces and never progressing in the right direction. Because they weren't diligent themselves. All right. 
How about Proverbs 19.15? Slothfulness cast into a deep sleep and an idle person will suffer hunger. What do you think that means? Slothfulness will cast into a deep sleep. Laziness. Be a coma. It could be. So when you were, when you were, go ahead, Mike. When you, the less you do, the less you feel like doing. Oh, I, that's exactly where I was going. You can always tell, especially when children first go to work. Right? I've taken many children with me to do service projects and things like that. I can always tell whose parents actually make them do something at home versus whose don't. You can always tell that. And those things will ring true for their lives. And you know, your kids will scream like it's absolute punishment. It's actual character building. When you're whining a little bit, usually that's because you're going through character building. That's what I like to tell my kids. If it's worth whining about, it's probably going to build character. Um, so yeah, and that's what I see. I see you get, the more you get used to doing nothing, the more doing something feels like too much. In the same way, that can happen to us as a church. That can happen to us as individuals. Then all of a sudden we start doing a little and it just feels like too much. All right. Even though they whine and cry and drag their foot and tell them, you're not coming in until you get done. That's all. So you might as well do it and get done. When they grow up, that's the way they turn around, just like you being a light teaching them, turn around and they teach their own so they're not slowful or sluggers yeah. or whatever. Yeah, slugger. My sister told me, if I have to wash your dishes one more time, I'm going to beat you up. Because uh, I, I sit there and I whine and I cry and say, Mama, I can't do it. I can't do it. And uh, she said, Peggy, you do it. You do it for her. She can't. She's just a little girl. That girl took me around the corner and she said, if I have to do it one more time. <laughs> and you know I had to try it. You know what I noticed is my, uh, my youngest son, Jacob, is, so he's the baby, and everybody, all my whole family gives him the way out. Oh, it drives me nuts. He's already cute enough. They're just turning him into a bigger and bigger brat. That's how I feel about it, okay? And um, he will give you more effort to whine about what you asked him to do than the effort it will take to clean up. And I love when I show him that. I, I will let him whine and carry on. I will not help him. I will not save him from his trouble. I will not go in there. I have to fight Amy. I have to fight the boys. Nope, he's going to learn. And he will put in all this. He will, I will come in. He'll be throwing such a big He'll be sweating. He's just like his mother. He's just like his... I'm just kidding. That's me. I'm not going to lie. That... That was me. I was the one punching my pillow for way longer than I should have been and stuff. Um, but he will. Oh, listen. I've thought about all kinds of things, especially like, oh, isn't this convenient to pull out at your wedding? <laughs> Anybody else like, 
Anyway, that's just me. All right, the sluggard does not plow in the autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. If you don't do the work in front of the harvest, you won't have anything. When the harvest comes, that's pretty obvious. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Get rich schemes. Anybody ever try one? Old waterfalls, pyramids. Anybody ever try those? Anybody ever send the money to the uh, prince in Africa? Uh, that was going to send you like a thousand in return, a thousand fold in return. All you got to do is send them your life savings, but I promise you it's going to work out for you in the end. Get rich schemes. The lottery, you name it. It's all get rich schemes. I, somebody gets rich. Wow. Chain letters. Oh, I remember. I'm young enough, though. I do remember those. I, I almost missed that one. Yes. Yes. Get rich schemes. Okay. You want to live in abundance? Be diligent. Plan. Be meticulous. All right. I'm going to stop here. Actually, let me see. Oh, yeah, I'm going to stop here. I really want to get through all this because next week, I believe, is Wednesday Night Sing, isn't it, Doug? Next week is Wednesday Night Sing, isn't it? I think so. Um, so we'll just, we'll just keep plugging through here. I'll add some more to it in case we get past the next part. I do um, <clears throat> think it all ties in very nicely to some New Testament concept as well. Um, and keep thinking about this, not just from a physical, but from a spiritual aspect as we go through it. Go ahead, Mike. Up, but I heard a story about a, a rookie at San Francisco 49ers camp so mm -hmm. many years ago. And most of the guys are just horsing around and trying to outdo each other. And, you know, who is that guy? Every time he runs a route, he catches the pass. And whether anybody's chasing him or not, he runs all the way to the goal line. What's, what's his deal? We're just running routes here. It was Jerry Rice. Yeah. Well, was, his <laughs> diligence definitely paid off. Yeah. yeah. And that was the difference between him and everybody else in the NFL at the time. Well, I'll tell you, there's a lot of that is, that work ethic is what all the greatest always talk about. Is when everybody else is sleeping, <laughs> they're working. When everybody else only does this much, they do this much more to ensure that they're that much more prepared than the next guy. It's part of life. Yeah, absolutely. He didn't have to, but it paid off for him. All right, anybody else? I don't know if this is becoming a habit or not, but um, <clears throat> it's not 8 o'clock yet. Have a wonderful drive home. Thank you all for coming.